It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of Locked On Titans. I'm Jimmy Morris, joined as always by Terry Lambert. Terry, how are you tonight? Doing well. What's going on, Jerry? Not too much. We are also joined tonight by Jonathan Hutton of the Midday 180 on 104.5 and also Titans Radio. Jonathan, how are you? I am excellent. It's great to be back on the show with you guys. I enjoyed the visit prior to free agency, and I'm looking forward to talking a little draft, which is my favorite part of the offseason. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. So we appreciate uh, you jumping back on with us. So we're going to get into uh, some Titans needs conversation and just just some talk general talk about the draft with, with Hutton here in just a minute. Before we do that, remind you that Terry and I write for MusicCityMiracles.com where we cover the Titans for SB Nation. Uh, so you can check out our work there. You can also follow us on Twitter. I am at MCM. Terry's at T. Lambert FB. Uh, the podcast account at Locked on Titans. Uh, so check all that out. You can also subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us there. And you can follow Hutton on Twitter at Hutton1045. All right, so um, one of the more fascinating things about this draft process has been the work that the Titans have done on receivers. They, they've had a lot of the, these these top receivers in. Um, and you know they're they're at a place where I think they have a pretty solid group. It, it's unproven, but there's a lot of potential there. So, Jonathan, talk a little bit about the Titans receiver group and how you think they're approaching this draft in regards to a need at wide receiver. Well, I, I agree that it's fascinating because when you look at the core group of receivers right now that the Titans have, Rashard Matthews, Corey Davis, Taywan Taylor. Uh, Tajay Sharp, who's back and by all accounts healthy and ready to go and has put in a lot of work this offseason, and Michael Campanero. That group as a whole, I think, is okay. But what I think it lacks is uh, legitimate speed on the outside, that true burner on the outside. Uh, if I were going into the, the offseason with the previous offense – I would think that speed is definitely necessary for for Marcus Mariota and the offense he was playing in. The unknown in all of this is the new offense and how much the receivers will be helped out by the scheme itself. Because I keep being told uh, by by people in and outside of the building that that know Matt Lafleur or or people that have worked with him that say. He will scheme receivers open. That's the whole concept of what he's been doing in Washington, what he's been around in Washington, what he's been around in Atlanta, and what he saw last year in L.A. And uh, with that being said, I think that gives Marcus Mariota defined reads and opportunities. I think it should improve the play of certain receivers. I'm interested in particular of Taewon Taylor in this offense compared to the offense he was previously running with, with Terry Robisky. But there's an unknown factor in that we don't truly know what this new regime thinks of this current wide receiver class, uh, both in the draft or the wide receiver crop that they inherited. What we do know is that they didn't really jump out and address it in free agency. They didn't jump out and go after the Sammy Watkins, who Lafleur would have known in L.A. Uh, But they have spent a lot of time with wide receivers over the last three or four months in particular uh, in workouts at the Combine and meetings at, at St. Thomas Sports Park, trying to get to know, to know these guys and figure out 
if that's a direction they want to go high in this draft. And when for for just the, and I'll say this on midday one eighty two when we when we say high in the draft, we're just simply saying first or second round. And I, to me, that would be going to the off season. I think that would have surprised a lot of people if we put wide receiver at the top of the list of not necessarily above some of the the defensive needs. But on offense, if we said, hey, they're going to go first or second round wide receiver, I think a lot of people would be surprised by that. I still would be to some extent. But then again, I keep telling myself, we don't really know what what Vrabel and Lafleur and Robinson as, as a trio think about the current group versus the, the offense they're going to install. And it's all about adding weapons around Marcus Mariota. Uh, with, so with all of that kind of tied together jimmy i i'm fascinated to see uh how it all works out at 25 and the options that they have and and could a receiver be one of those are you worried about having such little experience at at receiver i mean if you draft one you're gonna have four guys with a year or less of experience in in the nfl it's just weird because they've they've put so much into that room and it's kind of still a need, but you still have to be patient with it. It's just a little strange. And well, I, I, yeah, ahead. Terry, you're you're right. But here's the thing: if if they don't draft one, they're still inexperienced at the position because they didn't jump out and really address it, other than Campanero in free agency. So they would be drafting. To me, they would be addressing depth and depth within the first two uh, first two teams of their offense. Uh, either a, a, a guy who's com- competing to start, that would be a first-round pick, or someone that's coming in to compete for playing time as the third or fourth wideout. Um, uh, again, I think it's all about options. And with some of the names that, that I've seen on their list of, of potential targets at wide receiver, um, to me it could be anyone from top of the draft at 25 to third or fourth round where some of these projected guys seem to be falling into the, some, of the, some of the mock drafts. So it's all over the board with receivers they've taken a look at. And I think they're looking at, for me, I would be looking at speed over much anything else because I think that's the one element they're looking to add. Um, what they don't have right now is a piece of, of, of in that group that can really just burn a defender. Okay, so moving on from receiver, uh, we know that edge rusher is the biggest need, probably the only one, like the biggest hole that they have on this roster currently. Um, it, it's an interesting group because it's it's not a particularly deep group. I mean, we know Bradley Chubb's going to be long gone by the time the, the Titans are on the board. you got Davenport, who will probably also be gone. But Harold Landry is a guy that, if you look at mock drafts, he's kind of going all over the place, and we understand why, uh, the injury and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, what do you think if – is there a guy in this draft, like a Harold Landry, Josh Sweat, whoever, you know, that he's Sweat's been a guy that's been kind of gaining momentum in mock drafts for the Titans as, as we've gone along in this process – one of those two guys, do you think Robinson would be comfortable if that, that he starts to slide down the board, you know, let's say 16, 17, something like that? Do you think he would be comfortable giving up, let's say, a second-round pick to go up and get that guy if he thinks it's a guy that can come in and make an immediate impact? Well, in past drafts, I think the we still don't know much about John Robinson when it comes to drafts. We've seen him draft at the top. 
um, and see and we've seen how aggressive he is with top picks moving up and down in his first year and then uh, last year just going at and starting the, the wide receiver group in the top 10 but I with six current draft selections what he doesn't have this year that he's had the last two years is a lot of what he, what he would call draft currency uh, the ability to move up grab a guy that they want but still have some pieces in place um, to, to to build a, a draft class around. And while I don't think they have to necessarily rely on a bunch of rookies this year compared to years past, um, I, I don't know if they have uh, if, if they would be willing to give up the pieces to move up and, and grab an outside linebacker slash edge rusher like Harold Landry friend. Let's just use him as the example. Let's say he's available at 18. And you don't think he's going to get much much further than that? Uh, do you move up seven spots to draft him, or do you wait and roll the dice at twenty five and draft someone there, or wait until fifty seven and see if one of these second round projections? And I'll just throw out a few names: Sam Hubbard, Lorenzo Carter, um, those type players that should be second round picks. Do you think you can get the same production out of one of those guys? that you could a Harold Landry. Um, Landry, top pass rusher in, in college football. You guys know that as well as I do, his junior year. And then last year dropped off some with the injuries that really held him back. I, he's built a lot like, um, t- to me, Derek Morgan. 6'2", 252 is, his, is what I see Landry listed as. Morgan may be a bit heavier than that, but not much heavier than that now. Especially midseason, he's not much heavier than that. So... Um, I think he would be a nice fit. I just don't know if I'd be willing to trade this year in this draft to move up and get him because I think I think pass rusher is not a bad. This is not a bad year to need one. If you wanted to wait until the second round, I think guys would be there around the fifty-seven mark that may surprise some people with some of the names we're throwing out there because I think locally, Jimmy, locally in Nashville, we have dissected this crop of pass rushers to no end. So by the end of all of this, by the time we're finally here in mid-April, late April, uh, the names Sam Hubbard and Lorenzo Carter almost sound like first-round picks to us because we've been mentioning them so much. But I think the run on quarterbacks and wide receivers, I think running back will be a a, a position that will be interesting to watch at the end of the first round and early second round, specifically like guys like Ronald Jones. I think they could push a lot of those players down the board uh, especially early in the second round if there's a run on offensive linemen that were not picked in day one. And I think that could benefit the Titans at 57. One of the most surprising things for me has been the Titans' interest in cornerbacks. Uh, we couldn't really figure it out. And, and you know, I, I floated a theory yesterday, uh, just looking at Logan Ryan's contract. He can, he can be cut next year and Titans can save $10 million. Uh, maybe John Robinson's playing the long game there. Uh, but they've been connected to three corners that are probably going to be off the board by the end of day two. So uh, Jair Alexander, Rashawn Golden, and Josh Jackson are those three names. How realistic is corner, and and am I way off base with my Logan Ryan theory? Well, I I like the way you're thinking, because I think that's a GM way of thinking. But I also know, and I'm just reading the tea leaves of that building, they want to win now. Um, and ownership definitely does. I mean, they just fired a coach who won nine games and won a playoff game last year. To me, if you're going early, 
And in this scenario, Terry, you're saying corner at 25, right? Corner at 25 or 57, one of the two. Okay. I, I, like uh, if Jair Alexander were to fall there, um, you, you, you work him out to think, okay, if he makes it past some of these teams, what do we do at 25 if he's available? Um, but I, I think depth-wise, you're looking for that piece that puts you over the top with the current system. And with what they've added this offseason with Malcolm Butler and uh, on the outside with the Dory Jackson last year in the first round, uh, they, they have Logan Ryan who's going to play the slot. I, I, I hesitate to say corner is one of those top needs. To me, it would have to be a guy like Jair Alexander. Let's just use him as the example because the reports were out last week that he visited. Um, he would have to be head and shoulders above anyone graded at that position value-wise. And, and an example of that would be uh, some teams only – I remember the Titans one year had 19 players graded as a first-round draft grade for them. Um, if you have one of those players that fall to you at the end of the first round where you're selecting and no other players are on the board worthy of reaching at 25, then you take the best player available. I mean, th- that's the cliche that's thrown around, and that's really the only example um, I could think of as to why they would select a corner – over a, a a player that's going to impact this roster more immediate in its rookie season. Uh, it, it's easy to point to a Javon Kurz-type player, but those players will be available in this draft. The, the, you have to identify them, and they also have to be able to play. And when I look at the depth in, in the secondary, unless they're going to play dime a whole heck of a lot, it's tough to draft a corner and expect them to come in and make that immediate impact as a rookie. Yeah, these conversations are just funny because it's been so long since the Titans have picked this far down in a draft. I mean, you know, yeah. last year obviously, you know, they had the Rams pick, so you you still had a, a top ten pick. Um, but we've been talking about you know really early picks, so it's it's a different conversation uh, than what we've been used to for a long time. Uh, inside linebacker, I, I think, is another thing that is in the conversation as the second biggest need for this team. Um, you know, there was the report that Leighton Van Der Esch was going to come visit, but then the visit got canceled because they thought he was going to be gone, which that, that whole thing was kind of weird to me. But um, what do you think? I mean, is that a possibility if, if they, like Rashawn Evans or whoever, if they really like somebody at that spot in twenty at 25? I mean, do you think that's a direction they could go? Oh, I, I absolutely. Because with the, the two players you just mentioned, can are they're three-down players. At least they're projected that way. I mean, I'm no Mel Kuyper here, but I, I can – read into certain players, and I've certainly seen Rashawn Evans play a lot on Saturdays. Uh, Three-down player who can play multiple positions and, oh, by the way, play the position of their head coach, you know, that can get after it, hard-nosed football. Leighton Van Der Esch, to me, just looks like a Mike Vrabel-type player when I watch him and in some of these clips and some of the plays that he's making. And and Rashawn Evans... uh, the athleticism that he's shown in the SEC and the ability to cover tight ends, cover some of the running backs out of the backfield, but also put his nose in there and stop a run, I love it. Um, problem is, I just don't think those guys make it to 25. And If I were creating a mock draft, those guys go a little bit before them, just out of reach of where Tennessee would be selecting. Um, because of that, I think you could see like, I think Landry, to me, Jimmy, Landry is more uh, probable 
than Van Der Esch or Evans being available at 25. I think they all go in that same er- general area, though. And I don't think you can go wrong with selecting one of those three players for, and, and plug them into the Titans' defense. And it's tough. It's tough to say inside linebacker is the second biggest need because when I look at their depth chart, I know they signed Will Compton and Jayon Brown is back and, and should elevate his play a bit. Wesley Woodyard is coming off a great year, but I'm still hesitant to not put that as my top need. And I, I thought about saying that on midday 180 and arguing more for inside linebacker than outside linebacker edge rusher. But they have to have that three down inside backer that you can rely on in coverage um, with the way the NFL offenses are set up now. And the, the two guys we're specifically talking about, they can do it, and they should be able to come in and do it immediately. That's what makes them so valuable and why I don't think they're going to be available at 25. If all those pass rushers are gone, if all those linebackers are gone, where are you going next? You know, Jimmy's... If those guys are all gone, <laughs> that means I'm trading down. Yeah. I, I mean, Jimmy will say safety. There's a quarterback that falls. There's going to be a <laughs> wide receiver that's available that someone else is willing to trade up for. I'm trading down if inside linebacker and edge rushers are gone from my board at that point. Yeah, Jimmy will say safety, and uh, I, I get it. Yeah, Johnson Cyprian is inconsistent at best. I don't know that they're necessarily looking to, to replace him, but I certainly get that. I'm kind of thinking defensive line uh, is a wild card there. They haven't been connected to too many of them, uh, but it would certainly make sense. You know, Benny Logan on a one-year deal. Uh, not a lot, not, not a lot there outside of uh, Jarrell Casey and Daquan uh, Jones. So, uh, is there any merit to that thinking? Could safety or defensive line be a surprise pick? Yeah, I, I lean towards Jimmy's thinking here as far as depth concerns at safety for me, uh, because after Cyprian and Byard, I'm looking square at Denzel Johnson and and Brendan Trawick. And really, what you'd like is to be able to find the same mold of a Bayard in the second or third round. And, you know, I think there there are some guys that fit that same mold that could compete for a starting position. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Justin Reed, he's right on the border of being a first-round pick in a lot of mock drafts. Um, So I understand if people are shaking their heads saying, no way at 57. But there are other there are other safeties that make sense. Armani Watts, uh, Jesse Bates, a, a few others that that I know have have the Titans have given a look either through workouts or pre-draft visits. So they're, they're certainly looking at safety, and I, I would expect them to address that in the draft at some point. How high? Well, I think that will tell us a lot about where they where they feel Jonathan Cyprian is headed within this new defense, but. I would, would would be looking for a playmaker that's going to be available to to push Jonathan Cyprian for a starting position. No one's unseating Kevin Byard, of course. And up front on the defensive line, I don't think they're done adding a piece there. Uh, with Daquan Jones, Antoine Johnson, or excuse me, Austin Johnson, Antoine Woods, Jarrell Casey going through the new signing, uh, Benny Logan, and they brought back David King. I think the next big piece would be a big body that you add in and eventually uh, have a big nose tackle you build around up front. And that's what Dean Pease has done with his previous defenses. And there are some big defensive linemen in this draft. If you just look at just weight, 
I if third fourth round, there are a lot of players that are well over three bills, closer to three ten, three fifteen, that can plug and play in, against the run, uh, and that's what you would be drafting for interior, just big run pluggers. Um, to me, you can get those guys much like you can offensive guard a little bit later in the draft. I would go with more of a playmaker type position, second and third round. Matt Williamson brings the scouts' perspective to the Locked On NFL podcast. You got to talk 2018 quarterbacks. Josh Allen has the best quarterback record aside from Lamar Jackson, but the lowest completion percentage other than Josh Rosen. He's just been a complete garbage for the most part when he's been allowed to play. Yeah, let's throw a couple nuggets out on Allen. And I know he's a lot bigger, a lot stronger, but he kind of reminds me of early career RG3. What's kind of remarkable about Allen is he is so gifted. And he got better, I thought, this past year, which is encouraging with the anticipatory throws and the touch of his throws. But his deep ball passing is like the worst in the league. Hear Matt with co-host Brian Peacock every day on Locked On NFL. Subscribe or follow today wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, a lot of the conversation before free agency was about getting another running back to compliment Derrick Henry. They filled that role with Deion Lewis. But I think that they still need another running back. Um, I mean, y'all talked about Fluell a little bit on midday 180. I, I think I don't think they want to go into this season with him as the third guy. Um, is, is that something you think that they target on day three? You know, there's obviously a lot of buzz about John Kelly locally. Um, you know, you know, being that guy, being the guy from here. But I mean, is that a position you think that they'll be looking for? No, obviously not. I don't think in the first two days, but mm-hmm. as the draft moves along, I do. And, yeah, look, you currently have six picks. It's tough to address, address every need. But um, I think if you're looking for what what would the running back be, uh, is it more of a Derrick Henry style or more of a Deion Lewis type back? And I I would lean towards it's more of a Kalfani Muhammad type back that you think will actually work out for you. Because what they wanted Kalfani Muhammad to do was play special teams, play it well, catch on to the roster that way, but also be more of a, and I don't mean this in a negative way, a gimmick, um, someone that you can splash into an offense, kind of like what Michael Campanero was for Baltimore, where you can just, he's a gadget guy. Um, you can line him up in multiple positions, run him around, um, scat back is overused, but I think you catch my drift. Uh, the smaller back in, in that mold. And there's a guy that I keep coming back to that would be a third round, or not a third round, a third day pick, uh, is Ito Smith from Southern Miss. He is a small, small dude. But I like what I've seen from the tape of Southern Miss and, and some, some of the things you can find online by just YouTubing the guy. I think he's a sixth or seventh round type guy because of his size, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Titans give him a hard look because of uh, the, the time they've spent with him this off season. And just, it, it, he's a guy that if you watch it, it, and I know John Robinson spends a ton of time watching MTSU film. If you watch MTSU, he's going to, he, he would be a player that would pop up against MTSU playing at Southern Miss and Conference USA. Same thing for Western Kentucky and some of the other local teams that he would just follow automatically. Um, that's, to me, the type of back 
I would personally be, personally be looking for late in this draft. Um, just a, a, a piece to the puzzle that you can use in a variety of ways. And again, I'm mainly thinking special teams and a guy who's going to to play three, four snaps a game on offense at the start. A big talking point heading into the offseason was backup quarterback. Uh, Titans upgraded there, getting Gabbert uh, as as Castle walked out the door, saw with the Lions. Do you see them kind of upgrading their their third quarterback position and becoming a three quarterback team? Uh, they've they've been connected to Nick Nick Stevens and Mike White so far. Uh, yeah. Could you see them spending a fifth or a sixth round pick on a quarterback and kind of grooming him to be the next backup? I could. I, I could see them. You know, and, uh, the other scenario that I've – in driving around, I just think of different draft scenarios this time of year. And do you give up, like, late? let's say it's late day three, and Nick Stevens or someone that you like is in the seventh round, and instead of allowing them to hit undrafted free agency, do you pick up the phone and offer a sixth-round pick next year in exchange for picking up a seventh-round pick and get the quarterback you want to groom? Like, that that, that would be a scenario I would think of. Not saying that's what they're thinking of, but that's how you go get the quarterback you want, not giving up a hefty price for it, and you get to, you get to groom that player. Now, I think if they draft a quarterback, there's no question that, they're, they're keeping three on the roster, and that's a whole different uh, big topic to discuss is how many roster spots do you ultimately want at that position uh, versus what you need at that position this season in particular. But I, I do think they have to start grooming the true number two quarterback of the future for Marcus Mariota uh, as he gets into the second contract. And while I, I like what they've done at quarterback this offseason, and, and the decision to bring in Blaine Gabbert, I'm, is he the long-term backup solution? No, he's been an NFL journeyman to this point, and I think that's what he'll continue to be. Do you want to go ahead and draft someone that's, that you can mold? And that, that's something I would consider. Uh, or you, you go down the, the Alex Tanney-type route and bring in someone uh, that, that you can put on a practice squad and bring up to the active roster whenever they're ready. Obviously, there was a lot of conversation about interior offensive line, and, and they've signed a couple of guys that you know I don't I don't think I mean they're coming to be competition, but not necessarily guys that you're counting on. How big of a need do you think inside the building they view getting another, whether it be a, a, a guy that can play guard or a guy that can play center if it's next year? You know, when when Ben Jones moves on, how, how big of a need do you think that is for them inside that building? I think it's I think they're looking at center. And, and and they're they're thinking about the future at that spot. Um, I, I think if they draft an offensive lineman, it's going to be a guy who can play guard or center. And I think it's primarily the center position who can rotate to an outside spot for depth purposes. If Ben Jones is your starter uh, for for our discussion here, that that's how I would be viewing it. Um, you know, they I, th- I think they they kick the tires on a few options in free agency, but. Ultimately, you know, I'm looking at the draft, top of the draft, the best center guard out there is James Daniels, and if you're taking him, you're taking him at 25. Uh, I don't see anyone else at that spot, uh, offensive lineman-wise, that 
that jumps out to me based on what they've done this offseason with some of the pieces they brought in. Um, I, I don't know how, how, how much you guys put center as a need for this team. I know Ben did not play his best last year, but I've said this, and I may be dead wrong. There, there are certain positions I feel like with six draft picks and, and free agency now going into to phase three, where you're likely to bring some guys in right before camp. There are certain positions at this point you have to look at and think, okay, we have to just bet that this guy is going to get back to a level that we expected he would play last year. And to me, one of those guys right now should be Ben Jones. Um, uh, with, with six picks and we've gone through how many positions uh, in just a short, short amount of time we've been talking, I would be more willing to bet on Ben Jones for one more year than address center this year and miss out on a big edge rusher in the first round or miss out on that inside linebacker. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking because I know that Daniel Jeremiah, he put out a new mock either yesterday or this morning, and he had them going James Daniels in the first round. I just I don't see that because I, mm-hmm. I think – I mean, I don't know. At 25, I, I still think you're bringing in a guy that you want to make a an impact this year. Yeah, and I just I don't think I don't think an interior offensive lineman does it this year. Now, yeah, maybe next year. And we talked a little bit about that with the corners, obviously earlier the long game. But I don't think I, I don't know. I still don't think they're at the point yet where they're drafting. You know, Keith Bullock is always the example that everybody brings up. Um, that year, you know, you didn't need him right then, but you knew you need, he would be a, a dynamic player down the road. I, just, I don't know that they're at that point just yet. Yeah, I think Austin Corbett I, and, and, and Billy yeah. Price and, and guys like that, guys you can get on day two, I think that's more – that's possible. I, I don't think it's likely, but I think it's possible. And it's it's so easy to connect Billy Price to Vrabel because he recruited him in high school, out of high school. But, uh, it, it, you know, I, I agree with what you guys are saying. I, nothing with Robinson will surprise me because he's just – he surprised me so much with, you know, starting with – pulling off a trade for DeMarco Murray and practically giving up nothing. Uh, that surprised me to, to drafting Derek Henry when he did Mike Heath is still making fun of me because my jaw hit the floor so quickly when I saw that pick come across that, that year. So I, I, I expect the unexpected with Robinson in the draft because he keeps things close to the vest and he's pretty good about identifying players that will be, or will not be available. Uh, the next time he's available to pick, um, so, you know, may, maybe he, he looks at Daniels and looks at the value and says, we, we can't get better value for a player uh, at this spot moving forward and, and takes him. Which brings up, if you guys have a minute, I, I want to throw this at you before I even bring it up on the air. Um, sure. So I'm, I'm reading this piece by Jeff Perlman the other day, and he interviewed Jeff Lagerman, who was on the Jaguars radio network, for a few years, and that's what really caught my attention. But he's a, a former first-round pick of the New York Jets in the late 80s. And Perlman, his his topic was, does it really matter where you get drafted? And us talking about James Daniels sparked my interest with this because he's saying if you draft someone like Jeff Lagerman, who I think was like the 16th or 17th pick in the late 80s, and he turns out to be a 10-year player, which is a solid NFL career. But jumped around a bit and was just an okay player. But he played for 10 years. 
is it worth the first round pick that you used on him? Because technically he panned out, but did he make the true impact that you expect a first round player to make consistently? Um, and he interviewed Jeff Lagerman about that, and he used Lagerman as the example. And Lagerman even admitted that he would wait a little bit on Jeff Lagerman if he were the GM, and wait until the second round or third round to see if that guy were available. That's fascinating to me because a lot of GMs will say, if you draft a 10-year player, that is a hit. And other GMs will say, if you tra- if you draft a player that no one else would have taken at 25, then you should have waited and gone with someone else. Yeah, that's a fascinating thing because I, mean, I, I remember that was the conversation around Chance Warmack, right, was that I mean, you yeah. draft this yeah. guy, and he's gonna he's gonna be your your guard for ten, fifteen years. You know, you, you can you can pencil that in. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it didn't play out that way, but yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes we put probably too much emphasis on guys being dynamic players and not enough. Because I mean, it's those types of guys. When you look at the the best rosters in the league, they have a lot of those types of guys that GMs found whenever in the draft. But they end up being, you know, kind of a cornerstone of your roster just because you know they're going to be there. They're consistent. They're good year in and year out. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. I mean, if you look back at the Titans drafts, I mean, we've talked a lot about this as far as the salary cap's concerned and all that kind of stuff. The reason they have so much cap room right now is because they don't have anybody. They don't have any of their draft picks to pay. Obviously, that's about to change, and that's that's a good thing. But you know, they, they tried for so long to draft these splash impact players, and they don't end up panning out, and then you're five years down the road and you've got all this cap money and you can't possibly spend it all because right. you haven't, you haven't drafted anybody that you want to, <laughs> that you want to give a second contract to. Yes. I, I, I'm fascinated by the idea. The main, po- the main question that Perlman posed was, okay, let's say the Browns use Josh Allen. They go, they use the number one pick on Josh Allen and he goes on to have an Eli Manning like career, which Eli Manning's a Super Bowl winner and has had a really good career. But if no one else wants him in the top five, is it a good decision to take Josh Allen number one over number four? And, and, and I don't know, it's just a it's an interesting discussion to have because everyone's debating certain players. But there's how many teams are truly debating the same players over and over and over again? Uh, a lot of it's just simply posturing. One final one final thing on Ben Jones while I'm thinking of it because I, I mentioned. Um, uh, a thought I, I, I've had on him for a while, which was sometimes you just have to bet on a guy and think he's going to play better than what he did the year prior. But there's there's so much unknown with this draft because of systems that are now in place that were not in place last year. And moving to the zone blocking scheme on the offensive line, how much do they grade that in selecting the player they want at center moving forward? That's the that's the unknown in all of this is how do they view Ben Jones in that role compared to a guy in the draft who they've simply evaluated for no other reason but a zone blocking scheme. That 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 that's one of those questions I'd love to be a fly on the wall for. Yeah, I think we've already yeah. seen that kind of play out with Josh Klein. Yeah, I didn't think he'd get anything to close to what he yeah. got, and yeah, you know, they don't they don't really seem to to value Quentin Spain all that much uh, either, which was a surprise to me. So I think you're already seeing that that change in thinking. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, when you look at Spain, I, I just think he's kind of interesting in all this because obviously a very good player, 
um, especially for mm-hmm. you know not not being a drafted player. But when they tendered him how they did, uh, it it made you believe that maybe they're you know just not that high on him going forward and, and how he do, how he doesn't fit the scheme. And that's the other thing. I mean, when you listen to everybody talk about Titans draft. We it seems like a lot of people are still making assumptions based off of what we know from the past, but I mean obviously like you said we we only have what two drafts with, with John Robinson, um, and you know even still we don't know this new coaching staff what what they're going to want and that kind of stuff. So I think a lot of the assumptions that people tend to make um, are not necessarily valid with what we have going on. Uh, I guess I've got two last things. One. When you look at like Mel Kiper, and I know y'all talked about this a little bit today on your show, um, you know he we've seen him give the Titans a tight end in the first round. I think in his latest mock, he gave it gave him a tackle. Um, th- th- there's absolutely no way they're taking a tight end at 25, right? I mean, th- it, it's just like we saw it with Kiper, we saw it with McShay, and there was somebody else. I feel like. That that gave them Go Dirt or the the other guy, yeah. the South Carolina guy or whatever. But I mean that that's 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 not going to happen, right? <laughs> well, I I would tend to think if they didn't draft a tight end at eighteen last year with the talent they had available, why would they take a tight end this year after addressing the position last year with Johnu Smith? Um, yeah, I, I, I've seen the. And I know the, the jury's still out on John o. Smith, just like it is with Corey Davis. But, I mean, you drafted them to develop. And uh, one of the reasons why you, you made a coaching change was to develop the talent you brought in. I think you have to give those guys a chance to do that. Um, Goddard uh, is a talented player. But so is Hayden Hurst from, from South Carolina. But, man, I just I – don't, I don't look at the depth chart, and I don't – I don't put tight end very close to the top at all. It's not even close to the middle for me. Um, I would need a big explanation from Kuiper on why he's pitting Goddard with the Titans, other than just Goddard is one of his best graded players and he can't believe he's available at 25. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean the Titans have a need for him. Um, I And, you know, Paul, Paul believes it's just... Uh, kind of like what you're getting to, Jimmy. It's it's based on past assumption of what what the play what the, what type of player the Titans would be looking for. And in the past, it's always been oh, there's a tight end. The Titans are probably interested. I, I don't know if that's the case this year, unless they view one of these guys uh, as as someone that's going to line up all over the field. And Goddard six five two sixty, he's definitely a tight end. So I I'm with you. I, I shake my head at, at those mock drafts, but again I. I've, I've just got through saying expect the unexpected with Robinson. I just don't expect tight end early in the draft. I, I really don't have tight end as a big need in any of these picks. Yeah, I think, and I think, I think it was, I guess, Paul that gave the best explanation that I heard today. Like you said, just maybe basing it off of some past things, and then you've got this guy that grades in this area, and so yeah. you just you plug him there. But it just seems it seems kind of lazy to me. Um, Anyway, okay, but so it, finally... It, 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 I do raise an eyebrow to it, though, because it, it does come across as lazy, but Kiker is anything but lazy when it comes to the NFL draft. I mean, this is his this is his baby. I mean, he, he has built this empire, and he's built this empire on being around the area of right as opposed to wrong. He doesn't have to nail a mock draft, but he needs to be around the vicinity of the right position. Um, 
and that's what's so intriguing about tight end. Tight end to us is so far outside of the the circle that we're looking for at twenty five. That when when you see a guy like that slot Goddard at twenty five, it does make me turn and look at it a little bit closer, even if he is just getting some information that seems to be bogus. All right. So final thing uh, before we let you go. Right now at twenty five, the Titans do what? what? What's your gut telling you? I I think right now at twenty five, they trade down. I think they trade down and pick up some more draft selections. Still end up with a, an edge rusher in the second round. Still end up with an inside linebacker for depth purposes at some point in this draft. And Jimmy, I'm, I'm kind of leaning in, in your your direction at safety. I think safety could be a position they address pretty quickly uh, in this draft. But six picks, I, I think at 25, there will be offensive linemen on the board. Uh, there will be corners that will fall, and I think that means there will be teams willing to trade up and grab those valuable positions that the Titans uh, would be willing to trade down and and, and still address a, a player that may be uh, around the, the the area of of a, a starting type player that that they feel like is either at the bottom of the first or early second. Um, Right now, I lean towards towards them trading down as opposed to drafting at twenty five or, or trading up. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm kind of inclined to agree because, like, when you hear John Robinson talk, and, and I guess I've heard him, you know, more extensively on y'all show than anybody else. He's very uh, he, he gives you nothing, you know. Like he, mm-hmm. he's very whatever. I mean, he talked about. I guess it was y'all were asking about the Mariota fifth year option, and he wouldn't even you know comment on that. Um, but I just remember last year. Like you said, draft currency. Talking about draft currency, and he seemed to have like just something, something else in his voice when he talked about having that. And he doesn't have that this year. Mm-hmm. And if he's able to move down at twenty-five, he would kind of pick some of that up. So I mean, I, I think that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, I'll kind of disagree, and I'll say, yeah, I've been convinced that they're going to come out of the first round with the pass rushers since this whole process started. I just think it's such a need, and I think it, it might be the last year. Uh, that John Robinson has such an obvious need. Uh, but to me, you just got to – there's such a lack of pass rushers on this roster. You know, even when Arakpo and Morgan are healthy, they're not uh, game changers. They're just kind of solid guys. Uh, I think if there's a guy uh, even close to, to 25, I, I think he could pop up a couple positions. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm just – I'm pretty convinced that he comes out of the first with his uh, edge rusher, and I don't – I don't know about moving down. I, I think that's kind of risky business. It, it all it's goes, risky. All depends on what's Go ahead. there, obviously. Yeah, look, just scenario-wise, let's say at 25, Landry's off the board, someone we discussed earlier, for edge rusher. Um, and let's say, if we're just strictly looking at edge rusher, that Sweat and Hubbard and Arden Key are on the board. Do you trade down? I probably stick and pick Josh Sweat. Uh, you know that's something that that me and Jimmy talks about. We don't want. Well, I don't want any part of Arden Key, uh, and, and I don't think Hubbard's that that guy. I, I think the the cliff happens after Josh Sweat. Okay. Well, if if you then in that case you stick and pick. Um, but if you feel like Arden Key, if you've done all of your homework, um, and look. It's easy to watch Arden Key and love what you see at LSU. That dude is a monster off the edge. 
but there's a reason why he's going in the second round in a lot of mock drafts and not a first rounder. So uh, I, I think you can view him, and if you if you fall in love with him and you see a double digit sack guy, uh, maybe you trade down and, and gain some extra picks and use one of those picks on Arden Key. But if you're staying away from everything off the field, then I stick and pick and go with Josh Sweat. Well, there you go. All right. Well, Jonathan, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. And, again, you can follow Hutton on Twitter, at Hutton1045. He's on Midday 180. They are now on from 10 to 3, 10 to 2, right? 10 to 2 locally. 10 to 2, yeah. 104.5, the zone, which is the Titans flagship station, and obviously uh, Hutton's a part of all the Titans radio coverage as well. Um, So that will do it for us tonight. We will probably be back Thursday night. The NFL schedule is slated to come out on Thursday. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that when it comes out. So look for that coming up next. Uh, again, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at MCM. Terry is at T. Lambert FB. Podcast account at Locked on Titans. So for Terry, for Jonathan Hutton, and for uh, this episode of Locked on Titans, we say thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again later this week. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Podcast Network, but why stop now? Check out the daily Locked On Podcast Network for your favorite NBA team. Find it right now in your favorite podcast app, and be sure to subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.